It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 7669 So glad you're here. Uh, I'll tell you, if you're anywhere in the Northeast, uh, even down the, like, basically the, the uh, in the South, uh, in the South, all the way down to even parts of Florida, it's freezing. I don't know how the heck that happened. It seemed like a balmy spring a couple of days ago, but now in Virginia, there's a lot of peril on the highways. Uh, there's a lot of people stuck on those highways. First big test for the governor there. But we have much more to discuss. We're going to go to Texas, talk to Lieutenant Colonel Alan West about his quest to be the next governor of Texas. And, of course, take your calls. Uh, So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Yes, rules changes are on the table. We're discussing them actively with the senators. And as I said in the Dear Colleague that I issued a while ago, uh, we are going to vote on voting rights um, shortly. Uh, including considering rules changes. Yeah, right. A radical, desperate Democratic agenda now out in full sight. Dems are going back to a social spending palooza, plan to blow up the filibuster, nationalize elections, while more lefty politicians retire and blue state residents are running to the red states. Number two, testing, contact tracing, and vaccination efforts by her administration have been an abject failure. The layers of mitigation that we need to keep our schools open and to keep our students inside of the uh, school buildings have not happened here in Chicago. Consensus is clear. Kids need to be back in school at any cost. The only ones now fighting this critical decision are not Democrats, not even radical lefties, but teachers' unions. I'll bring you the details. Number one. I do think that there's a large waste going on, frankly, and the disparity between the screening tests for the actual virus versus screening for immunity is quite massive. I think we get a lot more bang for our buck if we were screening for immunity, actually, as opposed to uh, the virus itself. Thank you, Dr. Norcasm. Live with it. Any other attack on COVID-19 is a misguided wrong way street. Testing is not enough, and it's not accurate, and we don't have enough. The vaccine handles symptoms, not the virus. Isolation is psychologically destructive and not really productive. Cloth masks don't work. We just heard that from the experts. And by the way, the experts have no credibility. They contradict each other all the time, and the policymakers have consistently let us down. That is not an opinion. That is a fact. A mask don't work. This virus is not going to be a problem here. When we get the vaccine, there's not going to be any issues. 96% effective. That is not the case. It minimizes symptoms. More accurately is the case. This variant is not dangerous. They're pretending like it is. It's causing hospitalizations at a greater rate because people are running to the hospitals, we understand, because they can't get tests anywhere else or they feel a little queasy. You got a cold. Understood? You got a cold. So this is important. For now on, don't get caught. We're not doctors. And the one doctors that are in the audience know who they are. And know that they don't know everything. There's an expertise to being a doctor, general practitioner as opposed to epidemiologist, to a radiologist. We pretend that if every doctor knows everything, they don't. So having said that, learning to live with it. Get educated enough to go to that restaurant, go to the school, go to the game, uh, live your life, go to the park, uh, Go to work. 
It's live with it. Mayor Eric Adams more than agrees. Cut one. We need to really teach New Yorkers how to do this self-test at home so they can start um, gauging for themselves because we have to live with COVID and modify our behavior because another variant comes out. What are we going to do? We're going to shut down our city? We spent $11 trillion on COVID. We don't have another $11 trillion. <laughs> it's time to live with COVID and build systems around COVID until it dissipates and leave us. Until then, the city has to operate, and I'm look, going to make sure of that. Look, I never met that guy. But if the Democrats want a template, uh, and Phil Levine, the, mayor, the Democratic mayor from Miami, who is a self-made millionaire, the friends of Bill Clinton, he said if, if Democrats don't want to have an absolute disaster in the midterms and have a future, that's the future. So – He's saying he's pro-business, uh, he's pro-police officer, and he actually says live with this virus. I mean, he didn't talk like a Democrat. He talked about a guy in charge of the biggest city in the country. How to stop? We have to stop with the testing. If you feel terrible and you worry, worry about visiting your 88-year-old grandmother in a nursing home, go get tested. But if you feel like you got a cold, stay home if you have to. If you can't try to learn virtually, if you go to school— and then when you get over the cold, within five days, you go back to work. Don't wait online in 22-degree weather in order to get a test that shows you you may or may not have it. We don't even know if the tests are going to be effective. We're going to get it back in time to reflect that. I, I like the Dr. Ahuman Norcasm said last night uh, about the virus. We're going about this all wrong. Cut six. These tests, uh, unfortunately, are very volatile. And what I mean by that is that, you, you know, you can take a test uh, one minute and then the next minute – you can turn positive and acquire an infection uh, from wherever you are. And so I think in general, it's a, it's a good idea to, to actually limit this to higher risk populations and people who actually are symptomatic so that we can actually uh, quarantine people appropriately. I, I do think that there's a large waste going on, frankly, and the disparity between the screening tests for the actual virus versus screening for immunity is quite massive. I think you, we get a lot more bang for our buck if we were screening for immunity, actually, as opposed to uh, the virus itself. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? Hey, I feel like my immunity is pretty strong, and uh, I have no problem going out to uh, to uh, Fridays this weekend. All right, I feel my immunity is very strong. I, you know, I had the virus. By the way, I, and a heart surgeon came up to me when, over the last week, and he said to me, uh, he's not getting the sh- the vaccine. So that's interesting. Said why? He's like they don't know enough about it. It's not working. There's no proof that vaccinated or unvaccinated people spread the virus more or less. Number two, he said uh, this Omicron is a blessing. I go, what do you mean? He said it's going to spread throughout the population. Uh, for the most part, everyone will experience mild symptoms, and you'll have the antibodies. That's what it is, and that's what they tell us. These these people that go to school on these viruses and these pandemics say they come back. They're easy to spread. They're not as virulent, not as pernicious. That's a fact. So that brings me to my next big talking point, and that's schools. Got to get back to schools. Uh, that is not a Republican opinion anymore. It's not Donald Trump's opinion anymore. It is Democrats' opinion. It's the Secretary of Education. It is Anthony Fauci, uh, that the worst doctor America ever produced. Cannot wait for him to retire and stop booking him all other channels. No one listens to him. He's always wrong. He never says anything definitively. But we have to get the kids back in school. So the liberal, the moderate Republican governor of Massachusetts pushing liberal Boston, get back to school. The Chicago, the liberal mayor of Chicago, you got to get back to school. The secretary of education, you got to get back to school. The governor of Illinois, you got to get back to school. They're not going back to school. 
the mayor of New York City not getting back to school. They're not going back to school because of the teachers' unions. And that is what's so unbelievable. And it's not so – forget about the daycare. That's a big deal that, you, that parents can't go to work because they need daycare. Number two, know what it's about? It's about these kids not meeting any new kids, about these kids not learning for a year and a half, first grade, 11th grade, 7th grade. It doesn't matter. The, the, the last two years have been a nightmare for these kids. The parents are thoroughly letting all of them down. Listen to some of these kids. They weighed in in, in suburban Illinois. They find out Monday, they brave these single-digit temperatures to find out this. Cut 13. I was mad. Why? I personally don't like being online. I wish we were in person. I feel like I learn better that way. I'm not too happy about it. I feel like I have to work a little bit harder and pay attention a little bit more because when you're doing remote learning, you kind of just, you you could get easily distracted when you're at home, you're on your computer, you could zone out easily, but when you're in person, you're kind of more engaged. At the very least, let alone the friends that you might see in the hall, uh, how you learn to interact with older kids, younger kids, your teachers. Now we find out, and we have it, If uh, Eric, I forgot to ask for it, but from yesterday, Dr. Scott Gottlieb and the masks. Now you make the kid wear the mask in school all day. Now we find out the, the masks are useless. We knew this. We hear it going back and forth, but it's you, they're useless. They do almost no good. So now you have these kids with a face almost entirely covered, and just watch. They're going to start investing in N95 masks. We gave these school districts billions of dollars. I mean, Trump always says that, billions upon billions. But they literally, they gave them $10 billion in March, in, in December, before Trump left. They put out another, I think, trillion dollar or $800 billion. A lot of it went to schools. And now you have these teachers unions having these demands before they'll go back. But on the masks, talk about being let down. Listen. Cloth masks aren't going to provide a lot of protection. That's the bottom line. This is an airborne illness. We now understand that. And a cloth mask is not going to protect you from a virus that spreads through airborne uh, transmission. It could protect better through droplet transmission, something like the flu, but not something like this coronavirus. I, I'm, I'm, I'm flawed. I should not be, but I'm absolutely uh, floored when I saw that. So the Chicago School District is saying we want 300 new testing sites. Really? Chicago, before they went back, before the teachers go back. Uh, they also are asking for a KF94, K, uh, KN95, or 90, N95 mask for all staff and students. Do you know what it's like walking around with an N95 mask? You're basically breathing in a tent alone. I mean, I know first thing they told us, remember, uh, you can't use N95 masks because surgeons use them because they got to be fitted. Oh, but we just we forgot about that. Principals have authority to move classes remote if COVID cases reported. So they are able to do that unilaterally. The Secretary of Education said do it. The mayors have said do it. But the teachers' unions are making outrageous demands that can't possibly be fulfilled in order to keep those kids out of school. It is sinful. Britt Hume, Cut 15. Well, I don't think the teachers' unions are going to have much public support this time around. I'm not sure how much they had the last time around when they were trying to keep from reopening schools. Those that are... Those that are being kept closed or those that the unions are urging be kept closed. Um, and it poses something of a danger for the administration, which seems now to have awakened to the fact that this is politically bad news. And you saw that in Miguel Cardona's remarks over the weekend, that they want to keep schools open. Good for them for saying that. Um, but the whole, the whole atmosphere and the sense that this whole uh, pandemic has been handled badly by the past president and now by this president, I think, hangs over this administration and will continue to. But I, I'd say this, and, and no doubt about it, the president, uh, Trump, made some mistakes. We haven't had a pandemic to deal with in 100 years. 
So obviously nobody left that playbook around. They say there was a pandemic playbook around, but even that one dusted off, used under Biden, has been a disaster. A lot of Trump's instincts were right. Too much testing, number one. And at first they said, well, that's kind of dumb. But the more you think about it, it's too much testing. These asymptomatic people that are destroying their lives in our economy, big businesses and small businesses, not going to pump gas, not going to be mechanics, not going to be teachers, not going to the airports, not flying planes, not flying in planes, all because they're asymptomatic, spreading a virus that is mild in its symptoms. And then what else did he say? Got to get back to school. We got to find a way to get back to school. Okay. That is also what he said. He also said we're never going to totally get out of this virus. It's going to go away. He said that in the spring when it was clear it wasn't going to go away. He says the vaccines should not be mandated. He's 100% right. The mandates, although they increase the numbers, they also increase the tension in our country. They are gutting our military. In New York, they're gutting our medical workers. They're about, they've taken out three dozen firefighters and cops. More are coming online. Unpaid leave. Holding on to their jobs. Think about this. The medical workers, the nurses that we need in our system are not allowed to work. And more states like California are doing the same exact thing. And teachers who get vaccinated are told to stay home. How many want to come into work? they told if they're not vaccinated, they're going to go home. They told us the vaccine was 96% effective. Let's be honest. It is not. Number two, they said it's going to be harder to spread. There's no proof that if I'm vaccinated or not vaccinated, which I am vaccinated, that I'm going to be spreading more of the virus easier than a non-vaccinated person. Number three, which might be true that if we're going to get the virus, the symptoms are going to be less. That's what you should have been saying. Now they're saying get a booster, and Israel is saying getting four shots. They're going to be saying four shots soon. This is not a vaccine. These are shots. We never say it's the flu vaccine because you got to get it every year. Now they're saying that our two shots don't hold up for one year. So forget about it. It's living with it. Uh, evaluate the risks. See the symptoms. Know your antibody level or roughly know if you had it already. Live your life. Enough. Tell me how you feel about it. one 408 and then I'll take your call. I'll take your calls twice this hour because I want you to speak out. Tell me how your life's uh, being uh, ironed out. Because I'm telling you right now, the, when the Democrats fall epically in the midterms, it's going to be because of this virus. What Joe Biden promised, how he ridiculed the president, Trump, to get elected, and has fulfilled almost none of those promises, including the most egregious and irresponsible act, and that is not pushing for therapeutics, pre-ordering them while they were being tested. And therefore, when they do have something that works 90-plus percent, if we're to believe those percentages, we don't have enough until the summer. That, to me, is virtual criminal. Back in a moment. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. 
While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Because if we don't change the rules, the Republicans will block this and our democracy could be at risk and even wither in very real, in real ways. Really? Uh, so Senator Schumer is letting everybody know he's been an abject failure as majority leader. He's been unable to convince and try to ramrod uh, Senator Manchin, Senator Sinema, and I imagine a couple other moderates that don't want to be out front for no reason uh, to put together this, this radical agenda that doesn't reflect the economic stre- stress on our system or the inf- rise in inflation and our radical debt and how much we spent trillions of dollars on this pandemic, which is China's fault. So while the economy stops and starts, he wants to pile this on along with saying it's a crisis because Republicans are reining in some of the pandemic voting rules that were put on on the books because nobody wanted to go out and vote. So they wanted to have an option to vote at home. Instead, he's saying it's an emergency voting rights legislation. Why? He's getting pressure from his left to do something. And on the right, they said, we're not going to federalize elections. Win a, you know, go ahead and win a state house, and then you could decide uh, what you want these election rules to be if it passes that state house, if it passes your governor. But until that time, that's not the way our system works. Cut 19. Yes, rules changes are on the table. We're discussing them actively with the senators. And as I said in the dear colleague that I issued a while ago, uh, we are going to vote on voting rights um, shortly. Uh, including considering rules changes. Unbelievable. Uh, Considering rules changes to the filibuster. Last time you changed the rules of the filibuster to get judges passed, you ended up having to eat three Republican Supreme Court justices on a simple majority vote. Now, if you're going to lose the Senate and you got all this talent on the right, and you're going to lose, if you lose the Senate, and it's not going to be easy to to win the Senate for Republicans. I know that. But the House certainly uh, will be stopped there. So... If you're going to do all that, you're going to change these rules. Can anyone look around the corner and see what you'd be looking at? Uh, Senator Cinema is. Howard, listening on COIL in Omaha. Hey, Howard. Hey, Brian. I'm here to tell you that there's a lot more going on still with this fight against COVID. I just got out of the hospital uh, last night with a, having survived with a brutal uh, double Pfizer breakthrough infection. I'm 65. Uh, the, you know, the Omicron snowball fest, maybe I was not hit with a snowball. My lungs were breached. People need to be taking this seriously. With a vaccine. Not. Yes, with a vaccine. People need to be taking this seriously and they're not. They think, go home and tough it out like we used to do with the flu. That is going to kill, get people killed. I, I, I had. Uh, uh, well, I'm glad you're okay, stuff. Howard, but I would say having a treatment at home to be able to treat it would be great, too. She wouldn't have to go to the hospital. 
And I don't think anyone's taking it lightly. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We are as united and stronger than ever. That's why we're going to win back the majority, not by a little bit, but by a lot in these midterm elections. If President Trump taught us anything, he taught us that that an America first agenda is a winning agenda for the Republican Party. The Republican Party made that pivot. And that's why that's why we're we're more united than we've ever been in my lifetime. Laura, the Republican Party is stronger than it's ever been in my lifetime. You're going to see evidence of that in a big way on Election Day in November. And that is uh, Congressman Jim Banks. He's an emerging leader on the right and really feeling confident that the Republicans, maybe through nothing that they've done, but through with the Democrats, how they have led, are more optimistic than ever. They're going to just have a huge 2022. Uh, Could that indeed happen? Uh, We will see, uh, because there are some indications now that not only are the Democrats down, they're losing the Hispanic vote. And also, if you look at Virginia— they were lost. They lost a percent, a larger percentage of the black male vote in Virginia. When you know uh, African American, the African American community actually put Joe Biden over the top. Even though the president got a, a larger section, uh, slice of the black vote than Mitt Romney and John McCain. Uh, let's bring in Colonel Allen West, who wants to be the next governor of Texas. Colonel, welcome back. Hey, Brian, good to be with you, and Happy New Year. No doubt about it. Do you share Congressman Banks' optimism? Well, yeah, I do, because what you see, and if I could use kind of like a football metaphor, uh, you see the Democrats fumbling, and they are throwing interceptions all over the field. But the thing is that you've got to be able to capitalize on that. You've got to put up touchdowns. You've got to score when you get into the red zone. So I think the most important thing for Republicans to be doing right now is to come out and say, this is what we're going to do. This is our contract with America, which is what Newt Gingrich did back some years ago after uh, Bill Clinton's uh, first midterm election. So they need to have a plan that they can start articulating right now. And you look at what uh, the success of Virginia was that all of a sudden education became a big issue. So Republicans need to be talking about education, which does benefit especially uh, inner-city uh, kids who are relegated to failed public schools. Um, we, the governor of Texas came out and asked for federal help when it comes to COVID testing. Uh, do you support that? Well, I think there's a lot of things that we could be doing right here on our own in Texas. And so going and begging to the federal government, which, you know, I got some real concerns about how all of a sudden the monoclonal antibody infusion therapy uh, treatments have uh, been slowed down, been halted. Uh, we know that they put a kind of a kibosh on that in Florida. I think that this is something that the Biden administration, not just the incompetence, but also the punitive actions that they're taking because they're trying to force people into one single uh, solution when it comes to dealing with this uh, COVID being whatever variant that is out there. Uh, yeah, I guess right now, I guess that, that seems to be the issue. Uh, at the same time, what is the state of the virus in Texas? Well, I tell you, I'm, I'm on the road heading into our campaign office and you know, we're we're open. People are going uh, back to work, and it doesn't seem to be a, a very mass uh, casualty uh, incident. Uh, we don't see the hospitalizations going up, and I think that people are learning how to deal with this themselves. But what is a concern, I had a friend 
who recently came down with the Omicron variant, and uh, I recommended her for the monoclonal therapies, and she was told that she couldn't get it because it was uh, running low and there was a shortage. So I think what we need to be doing at the state level, since Joe Biden said that the states need to take control, is start working with these uh, you know, private sector organizations and companies to make sure that we can have the supply of testing kits. We can have the supplies uh, when it comes to the therapies that are necessary out there in our respective states. Here's what Governor Ron DeSantis said about that very issue, uh, and it is not good. Cut three. When we were in the pinch, I bought some myself. None of the governors now are able to do that because the feds have seized control. So we're in a situation where we've now asked for 40,000 more every week because I have people that I could help, and they are holding on to it, and they're not distributing it the way we need it to be distributed. So the government has hoarded remedies and therapeutics? That sounds evil. Well, that's what the nature of this is. This is about power and control. This is not about seeking what is best for the American people. It's about forcing them into one single option. And and that is not a good thing to be. And so when we have these therapies, we have these protocols, we have these treatments out there, that's what the federal government, the Biden administration, should be uh, promoting. And they should be advocating. They should be working with states to make sure that that is uh, readily available to uh, to the citizens. But instead, it's all about one thing, and that's the uh, the jab that you have to get in, in your arm. And thank God that we had a judge yesterday rule in favor of Navy SEALs and some other uh, Navy special operators to say that they could not be denied their religious exemption. Yeah, we've also lost about 200 Marines. They say many more in reserves. How many more military men and women can we lose with this COVID mandate? And what a disgrace Secretary of Austin has turned out to be as he sits there with his face shield, a booster, two Pfizer shots, and COVID. Yeah, absolutely right. And really undermines his support of this uh, shot mandate when he is the Secretary of Defense. Those protocols, uh, according to the Biden administration, and he still uh, succumbed to this disease. So I think that we need to just get back to allowing people to make the best possible possible decisions for themselves instead of going down this path of power and control and really financially enabling big pharma. Uh, I guess, and they're making a, a ton of money, uh, but I, I just can't understand the one thing that I think the administration understands is kids got to be back in school. I looked at the Secretary of Education. I even looked at Anthony Fauci. I see these mayors like Lightfoot, as lefty as it gets, cannot overcome the union's push to not be in schools uh, and to not get these kids back in school, even though Republicans have been saying this all along. Here's Mayor Eric Adams, cut 11. We are going to keep our schools open. In the school, less than 1% of children are infected. At home, over 15 percent. So I say to that parent, bring your child to school. I mean, that's a sensible Democrat. He's trying to get through to these teachers. What's it going to take? No, he's absolutely right. And I got to tell you, it kind of goes back to what Ronald Reagan did with the air traffic controllers when they decided to go on strike instead of uh, allowing them to shut down an entire country in our air uh, travel industry, uh, Ronald Reagan just went out there and said, hey, you guys are fired. 
and we'll find people that will come in and take those jobs. So the same thing should be said to the teachers and the teachers' unions. Either you come to, to the schools, either you teach the children, or we'll get people that will that will teach the children. Yeah, I guess so. Go, uh, how's the run for governor going? It's going very well. Uh, we're about to hit the road uh, tomorrow to get uh, back out and across Texas. And uh, the end of this month, uh, voter registration ends for the primary, and early voting will start the 14th of February. So we're about 42 days away from voting starting. Right. Uh, so, well, we'll see. Uh, governor's going to—you're trying to—the sitting governor's a Republican. You're going for that nomination and, of course, the ultimate victory. And without the endlessly sexy Matthew McConaughey standing in your way, I don't see who's stopping you. Well, you know, this is about getting out there, and, and, and job number one is our border. <clears throat> what we saw happen on our border last year, 2.5 to 2.6 million apprehensions, that's unconscionable. And there's 62%, they say, through Title 42 have been turned around, which are single men. Do you believe that? Oh, easily. Uh but the thing is that when we look at the unaccompanied minors that have come into this country and the fact that January is Human Trafficking Month, we've got to solve this thing, Brian. Well, at least you got to try. Uh, the current administration is not even trying. You build it, they're, they're, they have agreed to continue to build the wall. The Remain in Mexico policy, they're suing to get it unreinstated, and, uh, and they're not doing anything to stop the illegal uh, uh, drugs And they're dropping people now in Pennsylvania in the middle of the night on Christmas night. So they're doing Long Island. We know they're doing Florida. They got so much pressure on Florida, they're now pushing for the Democratic governor there and just dropping them in Pennsylvania in the middle of the night. These uh, these kids are now flooding classrooms. They might be great kids. They're just not the way you come here. Uh, Colonel, where do we go to contribute to your campaign? Yeah, and you're absolutely right. What's happened there in Wilkes-Barre and Scranton with these flights at night is unconscionable, and it's just wrong. Uh, you go to West, the number four, Texas.com, West, four, Texas.com. All right, go get him. Uh, Colonel Allen West, always great to catch up with you. My pleasure. Take care, Brian. You got it. Marianne, listening to WOKV in Jacksonville. Hey, Marianne. Hey, how are you? Good. What's on your um, mind? I'm 73 years old. I had COVID actually literally a year ago today, lasted all 24 hours. It was before the vaccine. I have not taken the vaccine. Of my three children, only one has done the vaccine. All of my grandchildren have been in school. One's in Florida. One family's in Florida. One's in North Carolina and one's in Atlanta. They're all private or charter schools. So I just, I am, what you, the interview you showed of the tape before, of the doctor saying the test is as good as five minutes before you took it. And it's so true. That's why you see a cruise ship with everybody that's been vaccinated. And, oh, my gosh, it's on there. Well, so what? They had, the, the, they had their test right before they left, but this, it, it's, just, it's just not that valid. So I just uh, – and the other thing in Florida, you can go in any store, mask, maskless, and I can honestly say nobody harasses anybody. They let you do your thing. Right, because you have to live your life. Yeah. And when it's time to go on vacation, exactly. they go to Florida, everybody. So that's just so about personally, it's about living with it. Uh, and we've been let down pre- uh, precipitously by every politician, so many doctors who are worried more about politics than they are actually getting us the right information. They never say they don't know. 
They just say these are the new policies. Live with it. You just watch. You know what's coming down next? You know that five-day quarantine period? It's going to be five days, and you have to take a test. Even though we know the rapid tests aren't reliable and the other test has remnants of the virus in your system for 14 days and beyond. So that means we'll never get out of it. So that look out for that. That's going to be the Anthony Fauci push when the CDC already stepped up and made their policy. Uh, I'm not going to tolerate it. Hopefully you won't either. one 408 Thanks so much, Marianne, over in Jacksonville. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. If I had a dollar for every lockdown politician who decided to escape to Florida over the last two years... I'd be a pretty doggone wealthy man, let me tell you. I mean, Congress people, mayors, governors, I mean, you name it, you're bashing us because we're not doing your draconian policies, and yet we're the first place you want to flee to, uh, to basically to be able to, to, to enjoy life. So here's the thing. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis is not saying live or let live. He's saying, I'm going to get people vaccinated. I'm going to provide the testing I can, possibly. I'm going to make it as convenient as possible. I'll communicate effectively. I'm going to get the kids back in school, and I'm going to let parents make their own decision. I'm going to let businesses make their own decision. But it doesn't mean I'm not pro-vaccination. He is. It doesn't mean that people aren't vaccinated in Florida. They are. It doesn't mean local people don't don't step forward and try to buck them. They do. There's a reason why you get elected. And every, every city in Florida is so dramatically different in so many cases. Miami, dramatically, dramatically different from Jacksonville, for example. But he's allowing that to a degree. And if he doesn't like it, he sues. But they, they keep that in state. And when, every time there's a surge, they go at Governor Ron DeSantis. Like he's the only governor in America. And this is going to wave in. It's going to wave out. It's going to hit the Northwest. We've seen this movie now for almost three years. And he's 100% right. They're going after him because he was missing one day. And how embarrassing. It turns out that one day he's with his wife going through cancer treatments. Friday night I saw pictures of him tossing the coin at a a high school football championship game. Janine, listen on WLAD in Connecticut. Connecticut. And I'll tell you, Janine. I see that a whole bunch of your schools in Connecticut are closed right now. The kids got to go remote. Yep. It's sad. Very sad. I know. What's on your mind now? Okay. I work in an assisted living uh, in Brookfield, Connecticut, and we have to be tested every week. We do a spit test. I don't know what exactly how that works, but we do a spit test every week. Um, if somebody calls out and they have a headache or they're not feeling well, we have to stay out three days at least. Um, if we have COVID, which I don't believe, I think it's just the common cold, uh, we have to stay out at least five days. If we're coughing, we have to stay out three additional days if, um, until the cough goes away. If somebody, if a resident goes out and is in the hospital, they have to quarantine. They have, have been quarantining for 14 days in their room. So they have their meals delivered. They can't have any friends in. They can't go to activities. 
Uh, and it's just ridiculous because most of these people are perfectly fine. And then, and the, and I and I don't believe that all these people that have died in nursing homes have died of COVID. When we have people that are in their 80s, 90s, and we have several that are 100, when somebody dies and they're 100 years old, I don't think COVID killed them. I agree, I and you're seeing that. By the way, this is kind of interesting. Governor Hochul, the new governor of New York. She is now calling random New York State hospitals to say, listen, what's the deal with your waiting rooms? Like, how many people are being hospitalized with Omicron or with COVID? And she found out something interesting I want to get to the bottom of. It's the first time I read this in the New York Post today. It turns out Hochul said that amid the surge in hospitalizations tied to the spread of Omicron, she was, quote, disappointed to see that at least a certain percentage are not related to being treated for COVID. She says she's been doing random calls and around to some of the hospital leaders just to touch base, to seeing what the numbers are. And it goes seeing the numbers from 20 to sometimes 50%. But we don't have a clear data right now. It says beginning tomorrow, meaning today, we're going to be asking all hospitals to break out for us how many people are being hospitalized because of COVID symptoms and how many people just happen to be testing positive just while they're in there for other treatments. I did not know that. I did not. Of course, if you're being treated for a broken leg and you have, and you, you have to get tested and you get tested positive for COVID, it looks like you're being marked down as hospitalized for COVID. And this is a huge problem. I'm wondering how these hospitalizations happen because all you get is a cold. There's been no deaths. And all you get is a headache and a cold. Like, why are people getting hospitalized? I don't get it. Maybe that's the answer. Uh, Eric, who's on WDBO in Orlando. Hey, Eric. Hey, Brian. Happy New Year. Um I'm from New Jersey. I'm a Buffalo Bills fan since 1972. I actually got playoffs fever. But being in Florida, I kind of like Tampa Bay, too. And what would Coach Kilmeade or Commissioner Kilmeade do about Antonio Brown? Because he could be picked up by any other team for one game that's in the playoffs. I mean, what, 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 what would you do? Well, number one, no one's picking him up. Uh, Antonio Brown's got serious mental issues. Uh, he's a danger to people he dates and gets massages from. And now he's, uh, for his team, he can't be counted on. He has mental problems, needs to be treated, but he could never play on my team again. No way. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, we have a lot to discuss this hour. We'll do a simulcast with the number one uh, new show in Fox in business, and that's uh, Varney and Company. And Jonathan Ward standing by, one of this uh, this nation's premier Chinese experts, to find out what's happening in this country. who seems more belligerent by the day, more suffocating to its own people, and more trying to imperialistic with their Belt and Road program. We'll discuss it all, but right now, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Yes, rules changes are on the table. We're discussing them actively with the senators. And as I said in the dear colleague that I issued a while ago, uh, we are going to vote on voting rights um, shortly, uh, including considering rules changes. 
Is this unbelievable? He's thinking about blowing up the Senate because he can't pass anything with a slim majority. Radical, desperate Democratic agenda now out in full sight. Dems are going back to a social spending palooza. They plan to blow up the filibuster. Nationalized elections on the table this January. The question is, is Cinema and Mansion going to cave? And if not, this is the most bluster I've seen outside of WWE pay-per-view in quite some time. Number two, testing, contact tracing, and vaccination efforts by her administration have been an abject failure. The layers of mitigation that we need to keep our schools open and to keep our students inside of the uh, school buildings have not happened here in Chicago. Huh. Stacey Gates, uh, Stacey Davis Gates, uh, blaming Mayor Lightfoot for the failure of schools and testing and mitigation or using it as an excuse to keep kids out of school. Consensus is clear. Kids need to be back in school at any cost. The only ones now fighting this critical decision are teachers' unions, not the teachers themselves. I'll bring you the details. Number one. I do think that there's a large waste going on, frankly, and the disparity between the screening tests for the actual virus versus screening for immunity is quite massive. I think you, we get a lot more bang for our buck if we were screening for immunity, actually, as opposed to uh, the virus itself. It also doesn't help, doesn't help that we don't have enough tests. Live with it. Any other attack plan on COVID-19 and misses, is misguided as going down a wrong way street. Testing is not good enough. It's not accurate. The vaccine handles symptoms, not the virus. Isolation is psychologically destructive. And cloth mask don't work. The experts have no credibility on this. That's a big story facing the world. The big story facing America and to a sober free world is China. That's why I want to bring in Jonathan Ward, author of China's Vision of Victory and the founder of the Atlas Organization, a consultory focused on the rise of China and India in the new geopolitics of the Indo-Pacific and U.S.-China global competition. Jonathan, what does uh, – great to see you. Just your perspective. Happy New Year. Uh, same to you. Is President Xi, is it going to be a happy New Year for the world as he gets more muscular by the day? Well, there's uh, – we're going back to an old tradition here, which is the Cold War communist speech. Xi Jinping gives a New Year's speech every year. He's been doing this for a while. He'll often basically say, here's the road ahead for China. Here's what we've accomplished. Here's what we need to do. He just did that, of course, um, accompanied by a massive uh, lights display in Beijing that was you know, an impressive demonstration of their technology advancements. Um, but here we are with a, with a dedicated rival. I mean, they plan to have a big year. I mean, this is going to be a year in which he um, goes ahead with his sort of lifetime term confirmation. Um, and in the meantime, um, you know, the, their power is ramping up. I mean, their economy is continuing to expand, even though you're starting to see structural weaknesses. You know, Western companies are continuing to invest over there, and they're continuing to build a military um, that is uh, closing the gap with the U.S. Um, on any given day. So so we have quite a, a, a serious strategic situation cut out for us. You see, what's it's interesting, be, uh, because I get kind of mixed signals, Jonathan, because I hear they're cracking down on any type of free enterprise. They're arresting people that get too big. They're trying to stop things like extra help on weekends that give the rich an unfair advantage to others. So all that thing that wipes out ambition and drive and creativity, they seem to be doing. They're not paying the price for that? Well, here's the here's the issue is that the sheer size of the Chinese economy is the issue for us. I mean, you know, they're cracking down on entrepreneurialism. Yes, that kind of thing is true. I mean, it's sort of a political rebalancing of the economy, making sure that nothing is more powerful than the party. Nothing can challenge the party. But at the same time, they're using all the advancements that have been built by the private sector um, to, to broaden their sort of uh, general technical capabilities. And they're catching up to us in, in every way. I mean, you see that across AI, across quantum, you know, you name it. I mean, they are making huge gains. They're ahead in 
in certain things. Um, and they're able to do that um, as an authoritarian society. So, you know, if we believe that entrepreneurialism is the way forward, we forget that it's a 1.4 billion person nation in the giant market. Those are their main advantages. Uh, um, having, you know, doses of entrepreneurship in there is important. But at the end of the day, the state is able to do things at scale and make decisions um, at a speed that we can't always match. So that's how we're going to have to compete. I saw a ridiculous. Um, it, it's be very hard. I saw a ridiculous number that said that China's only lost about four thousand five hundred people through this pandemic. That's not even possible. Uh, they're experiencing the Omicron uh, variant. What's the truth? How much damage have has been caused by this virus on the Chinese economy and country? Well, I'm sure it's been it's been very significant, um, you know. So, so certainly the numbers that they're reporting, I don't think we, you know, have any reason to, to believe any of that. But one thing that has happened is, um, you know, as part of the supply chain, I mean, people have been importing more from China. So, you know, as the world's de facto, you know, manufacturing workshop before COVID-19, I mean, we're still buying from them, and apparently, uh, lots of sort of. Um, you know, they look at it as the supply chains have, have tied even closer to China. You know, that's that's not necessarily true in every sector, obviously, um, but their game plan is, is to tie the world closer, make them more reliant on China. And, you know, we have to do the opposite. I mean, we have to pull back. We have to look for other places um, from which to buy goods, from which to manufacture goods, which is secure on supply chains. And really the tension there, it's about where our companies are investing, where the, the you know, America's largest companies in the multinationals, the Fortune 500s, um, which in many cases are continuing to invest and build into China. So um, that's really the nature of the, the, the tie there is that if we continue to have uh, private sector investment going into that country, um, you know, we're not going to be able to meet supply chain goals and uh, rebalance the global economy away from China, which is what we need to do. So in, in that sense, um, you know, we have some serious issues. How long are we going to tolerate this? I mean, J.P. Morgan Chase is uh, trumpeting it. We see... Uh, uh, Dalio coming forward and saying they're just like a stricter parent. Uh, they're the same as us. They just they like to be stricter with their people. I mean, is it really the almighty prophet? Don't people understand that this is a threat to our national security? Well, I think Dalio is a special case, and I think it, it's worth paying more attention to him on your show because this is a man who believes that China is going to be the dominant empire, and he says it's a great investment. He says that China's in an economic war with America, it's going to have military competitions with America, and that he wants to have uh, bets on both horses in the race. These are his words, not mine. Um, so there's one of America's leading financiers basically, um, you know, advocating for, for China's rise. I mean, that kind of thing, I think, is, is really disturbing that that could happen, um, you know, right here in our country. Um, and then in general in Wall Street, I think you have a lot of people that are just willing to look the other way and turn a blind eye on, um, you know, what's known to be a genocide, what's known to be a massive military buildup, uh, because they want to build their businesses there. They want to manage, you know, the, the growing wealth of China. And that's our fundamental problem, Brian, is that, you know, how can we provide our long-term security when our private sector and our finance sector are basically building and strengthening our enemy for the sake of their, um, you know, business interests. I mean, that's the fundamental paradox in U.S.-China competition is that we are still economically working with our adversary through our private sector. And the most flamboyant example has to be the NBA, where you have obviously they have a problem with the race relations in our country. They have no, they're not shy about that. We remember what they painted on the courts. At the same time, they have no problem looking past the genocide and the oppression and the. Uh, and the end of free speech and the limitations within China because it's all about money. 
I mean, I'm I'm all for free enterprise and capitalism, but I am just shocked that at no point nationalism and patriotism doesn't figure in. What could what do you think effective leadership could do to that? Anything? Well, I think companies have to start standing up to to uh, to China. Period. I mean, there was a bit of that um, in the NBA with I think Adam Silver at least at the beginning, did, did a good job of saying, look, we're not going to do what you say. But way too many companies are, are simply willing to roll over. Um, Beijing is able to tell them this is what you have to do and say, and they're willing to do it because they've built large businesses there. So, um, you know, how do we get out of that? I think a choice is becoming, um, you know, clearer. I mean, because when, when companies do that in China, they're getting pushback in the U.S. So I think the more that that's true, the more that uh, American society and American consumers and citizens are, are asking our companies, what are you doing? Where are your values? Um, the better off we're going to be. But there needs to be some, some urgency on that. We, we can't let um, our major brands become um, basically just beholden to, to, to our primary adversary. I, I think that's the job of um, American citizens to say that that's not okay. Uh, it would help uh, some natural uh, pushback on that because Nike said we are basically a Chinese company, which is unbelievable. They, they don't seem to have paid a price on that at all, uh, but they have said it. The other thing is phase one of the trade deal that Donald Trump had been pulled off on almost every area they have not lived up to it. Much of it had to do with purchasing our products and everything from manufacturing on down. They're between uh, 20 and 62 percent off the margins that they promised. So the question is, does Joe Biden reinvigorate the tariffs that were lifted for phase one? Or does he risk fracturing the relationship further? If not, the message it's going to be all hell's going to break loose afterwards. And if he does, he has to risk retribution and maybe reciprocal tariffs back at us. Well, right. I mean, I mean, that's right. The phase one, I mean, they, they didn't live up to it. That's, I think, par for the course. I mean, it was good to get them into a contract that at least we could say, look, you've broken this, given that they were um, cheating in every possible way in the economic relationship before that. I mean, they cheat on the WTO and all of this. I mean, China is not here to play by the rules. China's here to make the rules. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that we have to understand. So um, holding them accountable is going to be very difficult without um, applying real pressure. And, you know, a lot of this is going to have to be through U.S. economic, um, you know, containment toolkits, you know, investment bans, export controls, you know, keeping the tariffs in place, I think, is smart because it's forcing um, businesses to look at China slightly differently. I think there are different conversations in boardrooms now because um, of the tariffs and people realize that China is not going to be the perfect export base for America. Um, So, you know. I think that kind of certainty is important so that businesses can start to um, strategize away from China. But we have to apply more economic pressure. I mean, we have to beat these guys. We're not here to negotiate. That's not what they're here to do. They're here to win. Uh, Xi Jinping's speech was entirely about the great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation. We're marching ahead. You know, it's been a big year. We've celebrated our centenaries. Um, you know, over the future essentially belongs to us. So um, that's that's the game we're in, Brian. I mean, this is not a negotiation game. This is a game of win or lose. Really. You would think they'd be so embarrassed by the, the by the by the death and destruction they've inflicted on the world by their pandemic, who they still haven't been transparent about. How do you how do you walk that off? How do you spin that? Do they not realize on every level that they're responsible for this carnage? Brian, this is a country that killed 50 million of its own people in the 20th century and still has Mao Zedong on every um, you know piece of currency. So they, they celebrate history's most um, you know, bloodiest dictator. 
and and believe that he was the originator of their cause. I mean, that's how the Communist Party thinks. And um, no, they're proud of what they've done with COVID. They continually talk about how it not only um, showed China's excellence and solidarity, but it also improved China's geopolitical position. So that's what we're dealing with. We need to get the picture. This is not a friend, not an ally, um, not a partner, uh, not a business partner. It's a, a predator. So Mike Pompeo, and by the way, we're talking to Jonathan Ward. Uh, he's author of China's Vision of Victory. We need to know the next step in our chief ally. Mike Pompeo was on with Sean Hannity last night or the night before. Here's what he said about what could be happening after the Olympics. Cut 26. After the Olympics, my prediction is is they will try their, quote, reunification with China. Am I wrong? Uh, Sean, I, I think that's likely. Uh, it's absolutely the case. These are all connected as well. They're connected by the central thesis of an administration that's not prepared to defend the things that matter most to America, America's security. Uh, we demonstrated for four years how deterrence work, right? Ronald Reagan knew peace through strength. We talked about America first and getting it right. Uh, we made clear to the Chinese we would impose real costs with them. Uh, I don't think Vladimir Putin would have behaved in the way he's behaving today, coercing Europe, coercing the West, uh, having conversations with the president of the United States, walking away thinking, I think I'll send a few more troops to the Ukrainian border. So, you know, that, that uh, the Russia and China alliance is something else to talk about. But just real quick on that, are you concerned that they're going to do what Russia did after the Olympics? They went into Georgia. Are you concerned that China is going to do the same thing with Taiwan? I think the stakes are much, much higher um, than, than it was for Russia to go into Georgia. And that was a much um, you know, simpler, in many ways, military operation. I mean, here, crossing the state, straits, actually taking over that island could be incredibly costly uh, for China. I mean, Taiwan has um, you know, got a sophisticated modern military and uh, understands the stakes of the situation. So, and increasingly the, the neighborhood, you know, Japan, America, um, Australia, everybody understands what this means. So I think there, there's, uh, you know, a very different awareness of, of what's going on in Asia. Um, so hopefully we can main, maintain deterrence. I mean, that's, that's obviously going to be the focal point of um, U.S. military strategy in the decade ahead is trying to uh, secure and defend Asia from, um, you know, Beijing's aggression. Um, and, you know, on the other hand, right now, we also have Putin on the Ukraine border. So I think what, what's happening here is the Russia-China relationship, which many people said would never happen. You know, I was actually supposed to do a PhD on the Sino-Soviet split at Oxford. So I have a different perspective on that. I mean, they have a deep relationship, and it's maturing in the sense that they're able to sort of um, – play a two-theater geopolitical game against the United States. So to have Putin doing what he's doing in Ukraine while China does, you know, what it's, you know, potentially preparing to do in uh, the island chains is, is, you know, I'm sure there's some coordination to that that, that we need to, to start appreciating. Because uh, right. what would obviously really be dangerous is for, for the two to keep us distracted. Um, right. but, but I think for now, you know, there's always the possibility that China could act on Taiwan and there's always the fact that it would likely be very costly for them. Yeah, Jonathan, I could talk to you for another hour and still won't get uh, all my questions out. But I can't thank you enough for uh, moving this story forward. Uh, Jonathan Ward, appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. You got Appreciate it. You uh, that's excellent. we got to keep guys like him uh, on the show to tell us what's happening next. This is our chief enemy. It's easy to get caught up in the pandemic and testing, uh, but this is a real threat to America. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, Doc, you listen to WOKV over in Florida, uh, of course, over in Jacksonville. Hey, Doc, what's on your mind? Man, I, I want to know what happened to the uh, hip to, to HIPAA. I mean, why do you have to have all these passports? Doesn't HIPAA say you don't have to tell the world what's going on with your medical history? I and, thought so, and too. I thought doctors, I thought yeah. doctors took, uh, took the uh, Hippocratic Oath to do no harm. I mean, Dr. Fauci is flip-flopping, and it seems like he's the person that needs to be on trial. And the last thing, notice a lot of people who are calling in who are worried about uh, people dying. Those are the ones who have been vaccinated. They're the ones talking about people dying. You should be protected. What's going on, guys? Thank you, Brian. I love you, brother. Doc, that's what I mean. You got to live with it. I'm not just saying that science has to be perfect in a year. But they told us one thing about the vaccine, 96%, 94% effective, 89% for Johnson & Johnson. That's not the case. Not close. I know we can't predict every variant, but even on the first one, it's not close. So we understand maybe perhaps science indicates that the symptoms are less. I'll give you that. But we're not going to keep getting shots pretending it's a vaccine that's going to keep us out of this. When you don't even factor natural impunity and you're not even efforting to get therapeutics into everybody's house. Instead, you get tests that you even say aren't 100% accurate or detect the virus weeks after you've actually left the virus. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I wish our mayor would listen to the Surgeon General and plan for all contingencies, um, meaning that testing, contact tracing, and vaccination efforts by her administration have been an abject failure. Um, only 30% of our elementary school students are vaccinated. Um, only 50% of our high school students are vaccinated. Added to that, we've had the worst debacle um, with respect to testing um, that the district has seen um, in December. So the layers of mitigation that we need to keep our schools open and to keep our students inside of the uh, school buildings have not happened here in Chicago. Number one, can anybody take responsibility, period? We watched the governor be able to, and by the way, that was a, uh, as a superintendent complaining that the schools aren't ready to handle this virus. Number one, you have to take, at one point, you got to take control yourself. You can't keep waiting for Joe Biden to wipe your nose. You got the money, you put the pressure, you get the press, you talk about where that money should go, you find out a way to get a councilman and alderman to get that money to your school, take the picture, send it out. You activate your PTA and take action instead of just saying, it's been a year. It's been a year. You had $10 billion coming your way. It pours into Chicago because that governor's got so much power with this president. Believe me, Chicago especially. It's certainly not going to your anti-gang unit or it's going to your pro-gang unit because that seems to be growing rapidly. So now you say you don't have the mitigation. I assume that means plexiglass and spread. Three feet, plexiglass, not useful. Masks don't work. What else do you want? You want to expand your lunchroom, add a dormer. Get the kids back in school. Robert, listen to WABC in New York. Hey, Robert. Hello. What's on your mind? No, I spoke with you a minute ago. Uh, oh, you're I on. You're on the air, Robert. Your you're on the air. Ago. You're on the air. Okay. Who am I speaking with? 
All right, we got to go. Uh, if you, you should know the show you called. Uh, that's the only prerequisite. That and, and sobriety we prefer. Uh, it's not CNN on New Year's Eve. Uh, I don't think either thing is happening. I don't think he knows which shows he called. Who am I to smoke to you? Uh, does he does he just randomly call shows? Is he trying to be the 40th caller and win a new car? I'm not really sure. But what I true, what I would love to hear is somebody take responsibility. I mean, for example, what's happening in Pennsylvania? They have a Democratic governor, so they're now flying these illegal aliens into their state in Florida. It's a different story. When it was happening, you know what he was going to do? He is going to pick up the kids and fly them over to Delaware. And he's threatening to the point where these illegal alien children coming here illegally, circumventing the system, clogging up school systems that our taxpayers have paid for, are not, for the most part, are not going to Jacksonville anymore to a high number. They're going to Pennsylvania. And when he wants monocolonial antibodies, you have... Uh, you have uh, Governor DeSantis actually going to make the purchase. He's taking action. Here he is last night talking about how the government is going out of his way to hurt him. Cut to. Well, I think with the with the monoclonals, uh, that is absolutely leading uh, to people dying because we saw when we put in our sites this summer in Florida to deal with the Delta wave, we kept tens of thousands of people out of the hospital. We saved thousands of lives by providing that treatment. So that should have been replicated in all these other states. But instead, what Biden and his cronies have done, they've seized control of all the monoclonal antibodies. And that's criminal. Dr. Mehmet Oz, in my opinion, we got to get him on this week. I don't think it'll be hard. He wants to be the next Pennsylvania uh, senator. And we have a ton of Pennsylvania stations. And you guys are so loyal to us. We appreciate it. But Dr. Oz, the first time I think that he felt the med- politics that got involved in medicine was hydroxychloroquine, when he said that there's, there's indications that it's going to help certain people if you get to it early. And the way he was vilified and, and crucified through the media, he thought, what's going on here? Now he's got his, now he's got his syndicator uh, being threatened, you know, not going on Fox. And he thought, what's going on? How has politics got into medicine? He went in last night on this whole idea of treatment. See, everyone goes, I go to the hospital. I don't know what happens when you go to the hospital. You wait for it to get worse. You go on a ventilator. I don't know. You get oxygen. Cut seven. Let's take the one from Pfizer. This, this, this medication in clinical trials reduced the chances of major complications of death by 90%. Where are the pills? To the best of my ability, I've looked everywhere. You can't find them. And I don't know who's able to get them. Uh, forget about individual cities that are panic moves, making rules that are inconsistent for the public. But as an average doctor, you're just trying to help your patients. We don't have scenarios where we only rely on prevention. I might prescribe you a cholesterol medication in order to reduce the chance of having a heart attack. But just in case you have a heart attack, I know how to do heart surgery. That's my day job, right? I'm a heart surgeon. We, we can't give up treatment and, and just trust that prevention works for everybody. We've learned that the hard way with COVID. And I just don't understand it. And what's interesting is Senator Schumer came out and said, I want some of those uh, treatments and monoclonal antibodies for New York. One thing he's pretty good at is getting things for New York. I'm in New York. Uh, technically, in some ways, I benefit. But that's not really fair because you're a majority leader to give it to one state in particular. But that happens. Look what Harry Reid did uh, for, for Nevada. 
So Dr. Mehmet Oz has seen that. Now he gets involved, and I give him credit for that, and I look forward to having him on. So there's a couple of things. I just think the main theme of this show today, and I think it's going to be of 2022, is taking personal responsibility. And hearing that school superintendent speak out and say they haven't done any of these things, at one point, the one thing about teachers, when the budget is tight, they pull money, they find a way with a salary that's way too little to find a way to put it to get the bullet boards, bulletin boards done, to get that kid who can't get school supplies, get them school supplies. They figure out a way, whether it's school drives or, or cake sales. I get it. So if you tell a school, hey, guys, uh, this, this grammar school, is we don't have the things necessary to make sure our teachers are as safe as possible, and we got to find a way to get that money, lobby it out. Who do we know in the media that could get that word out? Local media, national media. We would certainly put you on, put you behind this microphone, also give you a chance to go on television. This is the money that should be coming to an inner city school. My goodness, you start denying inner city schools in today's environment, you are done with politics, period. And believe me, there's a lot of uh, Republican aldermen in Illinois who are frustrated would have gone to bat for you. Instead, you go, we're not ready. Keep the school closed. Keep the kids on Zoom and keep my teachers happy. It's terrible. Absolutely awful. So a couple of things. We cannot count on cloth masks. We first heard that. The vaccine does not prevent the virus. It may mitigate the symptoms. I assume. I haven't seen that, but let's assume. Can't judge on cases. Enough looking at the rise in cases. I got a runny nose. I don't want to be counted. All right. The cases are throwing people off. The question is, what is the severity of it? What are the deaths still down 4%, even though cases were up over 200% over the last two weeks? Hospitalizations are up 30%. But now we're seeing these stories that people are going in for other things, getting tested for COVID to see how they should be treated or where they should be placed. It turns out they have it. So you could have a broken arm, test positive for COVID, be asymptomatic, and now you're in there for COVID. And that's what the Democratic governor of New York is discovering. How many of those are off? Now, the mandates are killing, killing job performance and cities. I'm looking at some of these numbers, and I got the numbers. I'll share it with you when we come back after I do the simulcast with uh, Varney and Company, which is coming up right after this. I'm looking at some of these numbers of the teachers that have been laid off, the medical workers that are told to go home and not get paid. The cops, right now, there's about three dozen of them, and firefighters are going to get even worse, let alone the thousands that have it and have to stay out the 10 days instead of the five days. Hopefully they'll do the five days. And I'm telling you right now, the mandates are doing much more harm than good. Don't tell me the numbers have increased because of the mandates. It creates so much anger and resentment. It is not worth it. Let people make their own decisions. This is America. And where are the treatments, as we just discussed? Herd immunity, we never hear about it. Testing, uh, the testing quality is also down. We're hearing the, listen to Anthony Fauci yesterday. Do we have that, Eric? Anthony Fauci yesterday talking about the good of testing. They're saying, wait, the PCR tests might not be good. And the rapid test, we need a collection of rapid tests more than just one. So when you hear about that, I'm wondering, even if I can get a test, can I count on that test? What have I described? Question mark, question mark after question mark. And these aren't because I have this deep medical background where I'm still looking at some of the nuances of a study. This is what people are saying publicly. So I'm lucky enough to get a test or I walked into CVS and miraculously I got there just on time. I just got one. There has been some concern about why we don't ask people at that five day period to get tested. 
that is something that is now under consideration. The CDC is very well aware that there has been some pushback about that. Looking at it again, there may be an option in that, that testing could be a part of that. And I think we're going to be hearing more about that in the next day or so from the CDC. So this guy is going to make you test afterwards. Where earlier in the interview, he was saying that, yeah, you need maybe three rapid tests to get an understanding if you still have it. And a PCR test admitted that you're still going to have traces of the PCR test days and maybe weeks after you're actually negative and not transmutable. When the CDC said within five days, you're 95% not transmutable, get back to work, wear a mask. Oh, yeah, the mask. The cloth one doesn't really work. Done. Live with it. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm at our moments. Going to be on with Stuart Varney. It's always great. I have not done it in 2022 yet, but it's one of the highlights of being on the show. We share, uh, I share you guys with his audience on FBN, uh, Fox Business Network, and then you, of course, uh, listen, you become part of them. So we share audiences. Uh, nationwide audiences, global audiences. So let's listen to Stuart. 10.51 Eastern Time. You know what that means? Brian Kilmeade joins me. Brian, you're on. Watch out. A new poll, Brian, shows President Biden's disapproval rating hit a new high of 56% in December. And 60% say they disapprove of Biden's handling of the economy. Okay, how does he come back from that? Suppose that we are close to peak COVID that we can see the other side. That would be good news for the president, wouldn't it? Oh, it would be great news for the president, but it would be everyone's pretty clear it would have nothing to do with what he's done. If you think about it, his big epic fail was his biggest plus. He, he promised things to get elected, and he didn't get close to achieving it. In fact, he teased us. He told us in July this was over. He had a CDC director said, once you get vaccinated, you don't wear a mask. You realize that most people, including our secretary of defense, uh, Wearing a mask, double vaccinated with a booster, now testing, testing positive. So the vaccines have not worked out like he claimed they would and was taking credit for it until recently. He's giving Donald Trump credit for it. Now he's saying go back to school, but for a year he didn't. Now we're in total disarray when it comes to mandates. Some They're in courts to do it. And then when you look at what's happening with the economy, a lot of this is him. And he's looking now to get more grants to now meet workers and smaller farms. Where are we getting that money from? And he's still pushing the Build Back Better plan while jamming down that, trying to jam that down our throats. His only answer to everything is spending and vilifying. I think the American people are too smart for that. You don't think he's going to make a comeback by the time the midterms arrive? If he goes 1-800-JOE-MANSION, I'll take your agenda, or does some of the things with Eric Adams is doing on crime and saying things like, I love this country, like he said yesterday on Sunday, and I believe the city's going to come back, but we got to live with this virus. He said, no one of his quotes was, uh, Stuart, he must have gotten it from your teleprompter. It said, he said, we've spent $12 trillion and we haven't beaten this virus. 
We have we don't have another 12 trillion. We have to learn to live with it. If that becomes Joe Biden and he becomes sounds more like Joe Manchin, that's a Clinton like pivot. They got Clinton a big reelection win. But I don't think he's going to do it. Let me move on from there. I don't think he's going to do that. The, the University of Memphis is reportedly offering faculty members $3,000 to infuse diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice into their curricula. What do you make of that? This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. What, what are you talking about, math? What are you talking about, gym? Are you talking about uh, sociology courses, psychology courses? What does that have to do with it? I mean, to me, I could not be more disappointed. I'm in a pretty red state and an institution many people thought was somewhat conservative. And then you find out, again, the same thing that we've been seeing over and over again, infusing into other universities that is bleeding into Texas and now gender equity, about equity overall, or reparations and things like this that are detrimental to our country, further divide us. But now part of the things that will be on the Blue Book exam or the test, and now that we have professors getting incentivized to do it. For $3,000, you got to go do something you clearly are reluctant to do, or else you wouldn't need money to do it. Yeah, they'll pay you 3000 bucks to be woke and teach physics. Right. What nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Out of time, though, Brian. Sorry about that, but uh, you're good again today. Gotta right. say it. Gotta go, say it. Go get him, I see you all over television constantly. Do you ever sleep? Oh, yeah. Well, there's a, there's a good part to sleeping. I had a week off, and now it's time to stop sleeping and start working. And get <laughs> well to said. work. Yeah, yeah, and get to work. Right. Well said. You're the same Thanks, way. Yeah, I am. Yeah. See you soon, Brian. Thanks all right. You got it. one 408 what did I promise to do when we get back? I forgot. See, that's the problem with not sleeping. I promised to do something right after the Stuart Varney problem. Eric, you have headsets on, Eric. You had to be listening to me, Pete. Nothing. Oh, yeah, we did play. Uh, yeah, we did play with Fauci. We're talking about the test not being effective. So we're sitting there lining up for tests. I saw, I heard, saw, read the saddest thing. It turns out if you want to fly internationally, you got to get a test. So it turns out at LaGuardia Airport, outdoors, they were testing to get that clean test in order to get on a plane. So you see families sitting out there. Right now it's 22 degrees in New York. Yesterday it was just as cold. And they were waiting out in a line outside. And then when they finally, by the time they finally got there, they had missed their flight. They had to get their test and then go back inside and then wait for another flight, which if you look at some of the stats, they are so delayed because everyone's having the same problem, getting pilots, flight attendants, crew workers, and planes up in the air. So in order to get a test to get on a flight to go, that, that's what's going on here. You just watch. Within this show, perhaps, there's going to be an announcement from the CDC calling for an amendment to what they said. After five days, get back to work after a positive test without a positive, without a negative test. Now you watch. They're going to have a negative test. Do you know what that's going to do to the lines and the pup tents? Uh, those pup tent lines we see outdoors in the Northeast are absolutely uh, endurance tests uh, and, and, and cruel to sit outside and wait for a test, you're not going to get back for a PCR test. You're not going to get back for a few days if you're going to get it. Now we question the accuracy of it. So that's what's happening. And I blame the public to a degree because we've been so terrified, not me, but so terrified by what they're saying about this virus. People are saying, I don't want someone walking past me who was positive five days before as I walk in the gap to get another pair of jeans that hug me just right. 
and all of a sudden I realize these people are coming by me and they didn't get a negative test before they went out again? Or we were for the longest time. I don't want to sit in a restaurant with someone that doesn't have a vaccination card. How dare you? Now we find out a vaccination card really doesn't do much because a vaccine mutes the symptoms. It doesn't stop the virus for the most part. Unbelievable how we've been let down. Thanks for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com. You can still get the president of Freedom Fighter and get it personalized. Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, and that a battle to save America's soul. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Thanks so much Kilmeade. for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Thanks so much for being with us. Now our second show of 2022. This hour, we're going to be joined by a man who kind of nervous. The Supreme Court's taking up his case as he is taking the fight for me and everybody else. Pushing not for everybody else, but for people who think that mandates are wrong, un-American, and the president had no right doing it, especially in private businesses, ruining lives and careers and maybe health. Uh, so he is getting uh, the Supreme Court doing an emergency session. The attorney general of, of Arizona will be with us. Not only that, well, I'll talk to him about running for Senate. And Mark Kelly has been one of the biggest disappointments in the Senate. I thought he might be moderate. I know he's got that uh, military background, astronaut, his wife, the tragic shooting. I thought this guy might represent a true purple state that used to be red. Instead, he's been invisible, letting Kristen Sinema uh, takes all the slings and arrows. So I want to talk about Bran- uh, Branovich about that. Mark Thiessen standing by. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Yes, rules changes are on the table. We're discussing them actively with the senators. And as I said in the dear colleague that I issued a while ago, uh, we are going to vote on voting rights um, shortly, uh, including considering rules changes. Unbelievable. He's looking to blow the whole thing up. Radical, desperate Dems agenda now out in full sight. Dems are going to go back to social spending palooza, plan to blow up the filibuster, nationalize elections. I don't know if they have the votes, but the fact that they're still trying to do it uh, shows how desperate they are and how anti-American behavior this is. Number two, testing, contact tracing, and vaccination efforts by her administration have been an abject failure. The layers of mitigation that we need to keep our schools open and to keep our students inside of the uh, school buildings have not happened here in Chicago. Uh, Stacey Davis-Gates weighing in saying we don't have enough mitigation experts. Get back to school. One percent of transmission happens in school. The rest happens outside of school. Consensus is clear. Kids need to be back. Even left-wing mayors like Lightfoot say the same thing. Only the unions are stopping it. Number one. I do think that there's a large waste going on, frankly, and the disparity between the screening tests for the actual virus versus screening for immunity is quite massive. I think you, we get a lot more bang for our buck if we were screening for immunity, actually, as opposed to uh, the virus itself. Live with it. Any other attack plan on COVID-19 is misguided and it's a wrong way street. Testing is not enough and it's not accurate. The vaccines handle symptoms, not the virus. Isolation is psychologically damaging and cloth masks don't work. The experts have no credibility. I'm done. What about 
Mark Thiessen, uh, former presidential speechwriter, Washington Post columnist, fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, and Fox News contributor. Mark, welcome back. How do you feel about it's got to be let's live with it in 2022? We've got to live with it. I mean, this, COVID's never going away, ever. This is this isn't going to be. It's not a pandemic anymore. It's endemic, and we've got to stop acting like every every case is a, is a, is a tragedy. You know, Marty McCary points out that if you if you go out and test college students, right, and you test them not for for COVID but for men, meningococcus, which is the bacteria that causes meningitis, which is a really serious illness, you'd find it in the noses of about ten percent of college students. Um, but only about 50 people get it a year. So are we going to, like, isolate every college student who has a men- meningococcus uh, bacteria in their nose? No, it's living there. And, and the reality is students and, and younger people are not in danger from this virus. Germany, you know, here's a fascinating fact. Germany reported that in 15 months, not a single healthy child under 18 has died of COVID in, in the country of Germany. You know how many it is in the United States? We don't know because the CDC doesn't know because they don't track it. They literally cannot tell you. Rochelle Walensky was was asked at a congressional hearing for the the number of Americans. She said, I can't tell you. So they they don't even know. Or they don't want to. They don't even know the answer. Yeah. So so now we're going to have the big pushback. Just watch for this, Mark. We saw it on Sunday. The CDC director came out and said, after five days, you should be able to go back to work. You don't need a negative test. Anthony Fauci says, I'm not really happy about that. We're revisiting that. You watch. They're going to demand a test. For Mark Thiessen to go back to the Washington Post newsroom to write his column, he's going to need a negative test if you tested positive five days prior despite the minor symptoms. Even though transmission is down 90 to 95 percent, the CDC took that into to account. And now there's pushback from, from cowering American citizens and the medical establishment led by Anthony Fauci. First of all, the, the, I mean, look, if I have the flu— I'm not going to go into work for a few days because I'm a smart person. I want to get my colleagues sick. I'm going to work from home, right? We we all do. We Americans can manage We've this on their that. own. We've been doing it. We've been doing it for years, right? If I have a cold, if I'm the sniffles in there and, and I'm coughing, I don't go into work because I don't want to get other people sick. But I don't need the CDC telling me how many days and it needs to be and all the rest of that. And not based on any science at all either. And the reality is, look, this is we're going to have to learn to live with this. This is this, we the vax. We, think about the layers of protection we have. We have vaccines, which are hugely effective, right? Then we've got all these new treatments. We've got the Merck pill. We've got the Pfizer pill. We have the monoclonal antibody treatments. We have now the fl- fl- uh, Marty McCary has been talking about fluvoxamine, which is this over uh, this this prescription that's available uh, readily available, ninety one percent reduction in death. We've got so many layers of protection for this. On top of that. You know, for younger people, the, the, again, study, study uh, Israeli population study, it published in the New England Journal of Medicine this month, the risk of COVID death in people under 30 with two vaccine shots, zero, zero. So we're not talking about something. We, we, the vaccines and the treatments have taken this from something that was a that in March of 2020 right. was a mortal threat. To something that Mark, is a little more serious than a cold. Well, we you got to learn to live with a cold. That's absolutely true. But the last three things, to be totally accurate, we cannot get the uh, the monoclonal antibodies. The, the the federal government has hoarded it, and the states are not getting it. Number two, they yeah. didn't make enough Merck pills, and they didn't make enough Pfizer pills. Where was so, the Operation Warp Speed for treatment? It's invisible. You know, got Where are they for testing? Dollars. 
They, he passed his first act as president, $1.9 trillion supposedly for COVID. None of it was – almost none of it was for COVID. It was, it was for checks for people. It was for child tax credits. It was for unemployment insurance uh, supplements that paid people more not to work than to work. They pushed all this money out in the economy, which produced inflation, supply chain shortage uh, crisis, and, and a huge labor shortage in the economy. And it, they didn't prepare for the next wave of the pandemic. Why, why, when Omicron arrived, did we not have surpluses of all these treatments ready and stockpiled? In Operation Warp Speed, what they did was, instead of developing the vaccines sequentially, where you first develop them, then you test them, and then you scale up manufacturing if they work, the federal government took the risk and funded the, funded the manufacturing even before we knew whether they would work, right? Why have we not done the same thing with the, with, with the, with the treatments? Why do we not have millions and tens of millions and hundreds of millions of Merck pills ready to go? It's because, it, it, the, because the Biden administration is more concerned with paying off their left wing base than they are with taking care of COVID. And what about the testing? I mean, the, the testing and the PCR tests, as well as the rapid tests, they want roughly three rapid tests to understand if you have it or not. And a PCR test, as you mentioned, that you still have remnants of this virus after you get the virus for 14 days. We'll never get back to work. We'll never get back to school. Never get back to your life. Never go to a basketball game. Never go to a hockey game in your case. So I want you to hear uh, and, and never get back to school. So the big story is I think we're realizing right now that Donald Trump was right. There's too much testing. Number two is I think Donald Trump was right. We got to get the kids back in school. And now these Demo- the, the administration, Anthony Fauci, the secretary of education under this administration, Cardona, as well as the mayor of New York City, the mayor of Chicago, all say get back to school. But look who's pushing back. Here's Stacey Davis Gates, the vice president of Chicago Teachers Union, Cut 14. I wished our mayor would listen to the Surgeon General and plan for all contingencies, um, meaning that testing, contact tracing, and vaccination efforts by her administration have been an abject failure. Um, only 30% of our elementary school students are vaccinated. Um, only 50% of our high school students are vaccinated. Added to that, we've had the worst debacle um, with respect to testing um, that the district has seen um, in December. So the layers of mitigation that we need to keep our schools open and to keep our students inside of the uh, school buildings have not happened here in Chicago. So she's saying they haven't happened. Go ahead. You're witness, and I'll tell you what I think. Well, here's the thing. One, teachers unions only care about grownups, not children. That's just a fact, right? And they don't even care about most of the grownups. They care about their money, right? So if we, if you go to like a state like Wisconsin where Scott Walker did collective bargaining reform and the teachers' unions after he passed Act 10, all they can do is negotiate salary, nothing else, right? And, 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 they, can't, and they can't collect dues uh, automatically from your paycheck. You know, how, you know how many teachers actually ended up paying to stay in the unions? About 10%. So 90% of the teachers in Wisconsin didn't even want to be in the union. So this is not a problem with teachers. This is part of a problem of a teachers' union cabal. It's a for-profit operation. It's all about the union leaders, and they don't care about children, and they don't even care about about teachers. And they are they are hurt. They, the, the fact is, children are not at risk. Healthy children, unless you've got some kind of a, a, a comorbidity of some kind. You are not at risk from COVID, whether you're vaccinated or not, in any in any serious life risk. And they are more at risk from being kept out of schools, from depression, 
from drug use, from 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 all the all the side effects that we have. We won't know for years the impact of these school closures on our children. But one thing we will know is that it's disproportionately affecting black and Latino and minority children and poor children. And those people, those kids are going to have lifetime learning losses, which will lead to lifetime income losses because of these shutdowns. Right. And it is absolutely criminal to keep these kids out of school well, because a bunch of teachers, uh, union uh, officials are trying to uh, care more about grownups than they do about kids. Mark, to tell you, uh, to tell you the truth, you, you speak more eloquently and more consistently on this than any Republican. We're the Republicans pushing on this. Now that Trump's out of power, they kind of sit back. And I'm wondering, why are they not leading the charge there? Just because you're in the minority doesn't mean you can't make a difference and or just wait for 2022. We can't afford that. They need a pressure also for their own self-interest. If you go to bat for urban kids and you provide those numbers and you sit there in the inner city and you put your uh, stack table up or your podium up right on uh, 168th Street in Manhattan or Washington, D.C., which is about five miles from mostly black area, and you say these are the kids that are being hurt in front of those schools, believe me, the black community will be affected. If you look at the Virginia numbers, black men voted more for uh, Youngkin than, than Trump, and it went up a higher percentage uh, than just about anywhere else in the last election, and they got more of the black vote from before, and it's legitimate. It's not pandering. This is this is the big problem with the Democrats have, which is that they they haven't learned the lesson of the last election that you just talked about. And it's not just it wasn't in Virginia. They almost lost in New Jersey, which is not not a purple state. It is a deep blue state. And they barely even lost. They, the, the parents are – what started this whole teacher – school board mom movement, school board parents going to the school boards, was that the kids – the parents were in at home, stuck, and they were finally listening to what was happening in their kids' classes. And they and they, instead of dropping them off at school and then asking them at the end of the day, they were sick and tired of the school closures. They were sick and tired of the indoctrination of their children with left-wing ideologies. And they, and they, and they went to the school boards and demanded change. And the Democrats' response is, we're going to close. Those schools again? That's the teachers' union response. Be my guest. You're going to see. You're going to see Virginia on a national scale in the, in November 2022. If you do that, Go yeah, they get it. the right candidates. Here's Mayor Eric Adams, the new mayor of New York City. Cut 11. We are going to keep our schools open. In the school, less than one percent of children are infected. At home, over 15 percent. So I say to that parent, bring your child to school. Come on. The, Amen. That's it. I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat. That's survival, too, by the way. That, that's the, the future key. of the Democratic Party if they're not stupid. I mean, people, the Democratic Party should be should be listening to Eric Adams because this is a guy who has figured out how to run in the how to run and how to be how to be a he's a, he's a progressive on lots of things. But he but he wants to keep the schools open. He wants to crack down on crime. He's not insane. Like he's 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 figured out what 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 the rest of the Democratic Party hasn't. So you know, listen to Eric Adams and follow him instead of following AOC and all these these progressive nutjobs. Well, a couple of things. Um, lastly, real quick, I want you to hear what Dr. Scott Gottlieb from CBS said about masks. Cloth masks aren't going to provide a lot of protection. That's the bottom line. This is an airborne illness. We now understand that. And a cloth mask is not going to protect you from a virus that spreads through airborne uh, transmission. It could protect better through droplet transmission, something like the flu, but not something like this coronavirus. So, uh, sadly, one of his one of his uh, solutions was a N95 mask for a third grader. But what's your take on this? Should we ever wear a mask again? I mean, how many t- my head is going to explode when I watch that on Sunday. 
Well, first of all, I don't think Scott's uh, arguing for uh, N95 masks for third graders. He's uh, he's what he what he's saying is that if you're if you're concerned about COVID, and this, we, we, look, it's a free country, we should all be able to wear masks if we want to, if it sure. makes us comfortable. If not, sure. but if you're going to wear a mask, don't don't go around thinking you're protecting yourself or anybody with a stupid cloth mask. Wear a real mask. Um, and uh, and you know this is this should be a free choice, just like vaccination should be a free choice. We're a free country. People should have the freedom to choose, and we. And this is the what Scott does provide, which which the CDC doesn't, is actual information about what works and what doesn't work. Right? People should have. They, they, this is the biggest problem we have with 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 our public health officials right now is that they've lost all credibility. It's like remember, we had an after the 9/11 attacks when the terrorists infl- misled our intelligence and infiltrated our country and attacked us. We did a 9/11 commission to figure out what went wrong in the intelligence community. We need a 9/11 style commission to look what happened, what, what went wrong with the public health officials because nobody listens to them anymore. I don't listen we to don't. the CDC. I don't trust the damn thing the CDC says. And at least Scott is giving proper information to, uh, to inform people to make their own choices. True, but most people have cloth masks. Very few people walking around with N95 masks. Yeah. Well, it, well you know, or a surgi- look, a cloth mask is, is, is useless. A surgical mask is better. And a N95 mask is the best mask you can have. And so if you're concerned about either transmitting or getting COVID, wear an N95 mask. And if you're, if you're, right. if you're comfortable, we have to learn. Look, we make crazy. choices about risk every hear day you in more. our lives, right? Yep. When We're you not, walk out the house. Right. Mark Thiessen will not be cliff diving. That's his decision. <laughs> and I agree. Mark, thanks so much. Back in a moment. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I wouldn't change a thing about what we recommended to the president uh, we were defending the United States of America. We were keeping American people safe. Qasem Soleimani was actively engaged in plotting against America. And we took military actions, lawful military action, to make sure that no Americans were killed. Uh, it was a good decision. And now we have the responsibility, the American leadership has the responsibility to make sure and keep uh, every American safe against the threat from Iran. And to see to see President Raisi me, out there talking about uh, putting President Trump and me on trial, and then if that doesn't work, having us assassinated— uh, is deeply unprecedented and a real responsibility for the leadership team. Yeah, the leadership of this president. I mean, my goodness, I remember when Bill Clinton was president, they tried to have an assassination attempt on Bush 41. He punished them. He was retired and he lost to Clinton. He punished Iraq, Saddam Hussein at the time. You just say, okay, it's, go to, it's okay to threaten Trump and uh, the Secretary of State? Because you know what? They're just trying to get back into a bad deal that couldn't get confirmed out of the Senate. I'm talking about that JCPOA. So... That is a little about what's going on. When we come back, I'm going to talk to Mark Brenovich about something that concerns all of you. The mandates for private industry when it comes to this vaccine. A vaccine they're having some trouble with now. I don't know if you've noticed. Don't move. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Well, sir, we know that mandates have not worked. And just look at the past several weeks. We had over 500,000 people with positive tests two days ago. And then just yesterday, I think we were up to almost 500,000 as well. So the mandates don't work. Uh, what we did in the NDA, the National Defense Authorization Act, bipartisan legislation, is we know that the White House wants to give our military personnel a dishonorable discharge if they're separated because of their refusal to take the vaccine. So the mandates have not worked, but they've been prevalent and growing. But it's not okay with many people listening to me right now, especially my next guest, Attorney General Mark Brnovich. He's the Attorney General of Arizona who has sued the Biden administration twice over these COVID-19 vaccine mandates. And the Supreme Court said this is so important. We're in the middle of a pandemic that we're going to have a special session. We could get a verdict this week. They cannot force private businesses with over 100 people to make their employees get vaccines or be fired, I would think. Uh, Mark, welcome back. Thank you, Brian, for having me on again. So first off, any word? Uh, well, you know, the cases will be heard this week, and I learned a long time ago never to predict what a federal judge is going to do. But clearly, we think the Constitution is on our side because this is an unconstitutional and unprecedented power grab by the Biden administration. And I think that even the most pro-vaccine advocates, advocates cannot in good conscience support these mandates because they're illegal, they're immoral, they're unscientific, and quite frankly, they're unbelievable. It is a dangerous precedent. And we actually have four lawsuits going on. Two of them will be heard by the Supreme Court dealing with the OSHA rules. And this is the whole notion that OSHA has the ability to promulgate these rules to private employers with 100 employees or more, which clearly unconstitutional. And there's also rules dealing with health and human services, trying to mandate that healthcare workers, uh, you know, get the vaccine. We also think that's clearly unconstitutional. And we also, just last week, we got an injunction, the lawsuit that we are in dealing with the Biden administration trying to say that if schools get Head Start funding, that the staff, even the, the volunteers, the kids have to mask up two years and above. So really, Brian, and you know this, I know you've talked about it, this is a radical power grab. And we, whether you're Democrat or Republican, Independent, Green Party, wherever you fall in the political spectrum, this is a dangerous precedent. And we should all be worried about the left's attempt to concentrate so much power in Washington, D.C. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's just power, period. I, I look at this. So New York probably was the first. They just started mandating this idiot mayor and governor. They mandate you got to get a vaccination. So immediately 3,000 healthcare workers in the state have been suspended, resigned, or fired without pay, without getting unemployment because they refuse to get a vaccination. These are healthcare workers. 34 cops told don't come back, unpaid leave. You have a job. Teachers as well. Albany Medical, for example, they suspended 204 of their 11,000 employees. Uh, Mount Sinai, 1% of their entire uh, employee base, and, uh, New York Presbyterian, fewer than 250, about 250 members were told don't come back. Northwell, 1,400. So I'm looking at this saying we're in a time in which medical workers we hear are being burnt out and, over, and, and overworked. We get it. Can they, they can ill afford to lose people who actually know better than anybody else the risks of the virus, wouldn't you think? 
Yeah, absolutely, Brian. And and you know, this is what's so heartbreaking. And, you know, I spent much of my career as a prosecutor. I used to prosecute gangs. I've worked closely with law enforcement. And, in fact, the Phoenix Police Union and the fire departments here joined our lawsuit because I challenged the Biden administration, you know, regarding his ability to try to mandate this vaccine. first lawsuit was filed by me here in Arizona. And they joined us. And the Biden administration, they sent their folks out from DOJ, from, you know, the swamp to argue the case. And they literally kind of they argued. They said, well, there's no harm to anybody because the worst thing that happens, either you get the vaccine or you lose your job. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, my goodness, this is the arrogance of the left. They think that people losing their jobs, losing their health care, losing their benefits, jeopardizing their retirements is not a consequence. It just shows you how out of touch they are and how much power they want D.C. and the bureaucrats to have. And I sit there and I say to myself, you think about all these first responders, all these health care workers, whether you're pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine, whatever. I'm pro-Constitution. That's what I am. And the notion that folks that for the last 18 months jeopardized and sacrificed so much working in dangerous conditions, now they're going to start losing their jobs and their livelihood and their benefits and their health insurance. It is absolutely despicable. It is unconscionable. Like I said, what they are doing is illegal, immoral, unscientific, and unconscionable. So tell me how this does. I don't have a law degree, uh, Mark. Uh, did you guys do this in written form? And are they going to debate your written briefs? Or do you get, is someone arguing this case? Yes. Well, there, so there's there's a couple of cases that are active right now. And so, yes, we, you file a lawsuit and then, you know, a federal judge, usually a district judge will, you know, make a decision and then it goes up to the Court of Appeals. And you may recall what happened with the OSHA mandates. This is the one where it, we challenged the vaccine mandates on private companies with yeah. 100 or more employees that there was numerous lawsuits filed. So me and some of my other Republican colleagues, you know, folks like, uh, you know, Jeff Landry in Louisiana and uh Schmitty in Missouri. So we all filed lawsuits, and then they were consolidated at the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, and that's one of the cases Supreme Court's hearing. And then the other one, the, H- uh, the CMS slash HHS mandate dealing with the max vaccine mandate for healthcare workers, that was originally filed in the Western District of Louisiana, and we were part of that lawsuit, and that is the also will be argued. So there's a bunch of briefing, a bunch of legal, you know, there's paper, but then literally there will be an oral argument on January 7th in front of the U.S. Supreme Court on both of those cases. Meanwhile, and I'm sorry, there's way, way too much probably detailed no, lawyer stuff, it. but um, the dealing with the Head Start lawsuit and whether the Biden administration can mandate um, staff and volunteers to be required to wear masks, that a, Louis, a judge in Louisiana said that that was unconstitutional, and I'm sure the Biden administration is going to appeal that, and we'll see that work its way up in the courts. And we have a lawsuit right here dealing with, we challenged uh, Biden, the Biden administration's attempts to require vaccines for all federal workers. So um, there's multiple lawsuits going on, but I, I'm pretty sure that the Supreme Court will give us a, a lot of guidance as to what the federal government can and can't do when it comes to the vaccine based on what happens on January 7th. And the fact that they were willing to take these cases, take them so quickly, and schedule them for oral argument so fast, I think is an indication that the court appreciates how dubious uh, what the Biden administration, what they are doing is, and how important it is to create some certainty. Right. Uh, Go ahead. 
Oh, no, I, and yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, you know, I've, I've said this before and yeah. that, you know, at the end of the day, and I know you appreciate this, is that the government doesn't get to be our nanny and it surely doesn't get to be our doctor. And I don't know at what point in this country where, you know, even the left used to talk about, you know, uh, question authority and, you know, don't give all this power to D.C. and, you know, our health care records and information is our own information. And now everyone thinks that it's okay to ask everyone about their health care records or health status. There's like no dignity or privacy anymore in our own medical decisions. It is crazy. And I, and I just think that, uh, you know, Lyndon Johnson used to say that if you let a bully in your front yard, the next day he's on your porch, and the day after that he's shacking up with your wife. And, and LBJ used a different term for shacking up, if you know what I mean. Um, this is, you know, a PG show. But the point is, is that if you allow the federal government to do this, to have this kind of authority, it, it means right. that it's uh, that they have all this unquestioned power. And this is what the left wants. They want, Look, as we're you seeing know, it again. And Here's the thing. They're doing it now with the booster shot. And we know in Israel they're doing four shots. How soon till four shots? And I want you to hear what Dr. Oz said. Now they're telling 12 to 15-year-olds, you got to go get a booster. They're telling my college, my my two girls in college, they can't go back to campus without a booster shot. Please tell me the study that says the booster shot's even helping. we got a secretary of defense now in quarantine with a booster and two shots, and we're walking around with a face shield. Here's Dr. Oz. By the way, a legitimate doctor. Cut eight. Authorizing boosters for kids, 12 to 15. I mean— there's no panel involved that they're supposed to. Scientific advisors are supposed to assess whether, for example, there's a concern about myocarditis, which is what held this back the first time. But I actually take it a step back. I think boosters are the wrong challenge for America. We need to focus on adults who need medications. And here's what I do. Simple. I'm a doctor. I review the data. One size does not fit all when you have a thousand-fold difference between the incidence of infection and complications in older people versus young kids. We have to be brave enough as conservatives, as Republicans, as Americans, to talk openly about this, to say what we're seeing with our own eyes, to call it like it is. This is inconsistency. It's frustrating the voters in Pennsylvania. Americans all over the country are feeling it. The constantly changing rulebook has got to stop. So the one-size-fits-all by a politician trumps doctors? I mean, that, that's, why, that's why how important your lawsuit is. It's nothing to do with your party affiliation. You're like fighting for... The fourth shot, the fifth shot. Now, if we don't get one annually, my our vaccination is going to expire. That's not a vaccine. Yeah, and you know what the funny thing? Not it's not funny, Brian. But I, I, I look. I, I go out and I talk to people, and I don't use notes. You know, I call it. I don't use a set list. And I was talking to some folks, and someone cut something I said out of context. I basically said, look, if you can still get COVID and you can still spread it, what's the point? And then, you know, you have people on TV, local TV, who said, oh, my God, Bernovich wants to get people killed. And my poor mom, who, you know, fled communism, lived through World War II, you know, trying to watch the Wheel of Fortune and sees this teaser on the news that Bernovich wants to get people killed. And it's so patently ridiculous because this is not just about an experimental vaccine slash treatment. It's a about how much our individual liberties matter and how many of those the Biden administration will trample in the process. And that's why we are fighting these lawsuits. It's not anti-science. It is pro-Constitution. And as you know, and you pointed this out on your show, the Biden administration has been all over the map. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask, you know, get shots. If you get a shot, you're going to, you know, be okay. You can go outside. We're not going to mandate it. They've been all over the place. The only consistency 
has been their inconsistency. And that's why I think so many people are so apprehensive. And at the end of the day, I wish the left and the Biden administration people would read the New York Times, because even the New York Times, their liberal, their favorite liberal paper of choice, had an article a couple of weeks ago that Pfizer's got some new treatment that's supposedly 90 percent effective. And I know last time I was on I was on a show and I talked about antibodies. Why aren't we focusing on antibodies? I had several doctors here in Arizona reach out to me saying, oh, my goodness, I'm glad someone's finally talking about this, because you talk about mitigation strategies. Why are why isn't anyone focusing on? Well, wait a minute. There are people out there we know that have had covid. They're asymptomatic. They have antibodies. They actually have better protection than people right. that got the booster. So why aren't we looking at people and whether they have antibodies and whether there's other mitigation strategies we can use, including treatments, instead of going right away to vaccines that, you know, apparently, um, you know, you can still get it and give it. I hear you. And uh, Mark Branovich, Attorney General of Arizona, listen, I tell you, I thought to myself, you know, I know Arizona, I don't live there, but I've been there. I, I thought to myself that Mark Kelly's probably going to do a good job, you know, because he's a military guy and he understands the danger of the border. And he also, you know, he is a Democrat. I get it. And John McCain would have done a better job. I understand it. But I just said to myself, he's probably going to be a moderate because he wants to get reelected. He wants to get elected. So get a full six years. But he's been invisible. It's Kristen Sinema who's done all the hard laboring. In fact, it was Tim, Tim Scott who had to defend her in an airport. You would think that Mark Kelly would appear with her and say, back off because we don't agree on this. You cannot physically follow her into the bathroom. You cannot threaten her when she walks down the hall. Instead, he's been invisible. He has not stood up what I thought were the people of Arizona, which at the, at the best was a purple state that used to be a red state. What made him what made him vulnerable enough for you to want to jump in? Well, Brian, I, I grew up here in Arizona and I think one of the things that sometimes people don't understand about Arizona is we have this strong independent streak, kind of that cowboy mentality of, you know, self reliance. You were territorial ruggedism. Yeah, and, you know, and, and I think that even people that weren't born here understand it because they have either friends or, you know, parents or grandparents that understand that that Western Barry Goldwater spirit and that mentality of self reliance, a healthy distrust of the federal government central authority. And someone like Mark Kelly or someone, you know, from California that moves here, or Ke- Kelly from New Jersey, they don't get that. And they, they, they don't understand that we have a healthy distrust of, you know, Washington. We don't want to socialize the economy and nationalize our elections. We don't have faith in those institutions back east. And so he never got that. And I think because he never, you know, maybe didn't grow up here, spend enough time here, right. he doesn't understand how important the border is. Because we know that even going back to what we were just talking about in the vaccine, you can't have any real conversation about the vaccine until you talk about the border, because we know that the Biden administration even now is talking about test kits and more masks, and yet they're letting people coming in, to the, they let people come into the country unvaccinated and then essentially give them free airfare to go all throughout yeah. the country. So yeah, Senator Pennsylvania and Florida and Texas, it's unbelievable. Um, a chain's only as good as its weakest link, and so you get like, and we, we haven't even, look, you look at what's going on with fentanyl, and I said I was a gang prosecutor, as a federal prosecutor. We have never seen it this bad in law enforcement. I mean, literally 9 million just in Arizona fentanyl pills seized last year. That's enough to kill our entire state. I mean, two milligrams of fentanyl can be lethal. And and there's 100,000 people died of fentanyl opioid related deaths this last year in America. Think about this, Brian. That's like three times the amount of people who are killed during Mark, the I know. War. Yeah, we've been covering I mean, it. it, it 
But you have a lot to do. Listen, you have a it's a consequential state. It's a seat that could turn the Senate. Right now, you're leading the pack. uh, That this of um, um, McGuire as uh, uh, Lemon and uh, Blake Masters. Right now, you have um, the most of the registered voters. So best of luck, Mar. I know you're going to be fired up, and you're going to know the issues. And I hope you win this lawsuit, not for you or the party, but for the country. Mark Brenovich, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. It's all about the principles. Thank you. Absolutely. Back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Let me just say, let me just say that, that, that to being open to uh, a rules change that would uh, create a nuclear option, uh, it, it's, it's a very, very difficult. So it's a heavy lift. And the reason I say it's a heavy lift is that once uh, you change uh, a rule or you have a carve out, and I've always said this, anytime there's a, a, a carve out, uh, you eat the whole turkey. <laughs> there's nothing left because it comes back and forth. So you want things that will be sustainable. That's what you're looking for. You also went on to say when it comes to election reform, that is Joe Manchin moments ago. It's fact, he's still speaking right now. Uh, moments ago, uh, dealing with the, the hottest issues of the day, and that's the Democratic agenda. It's all in his hands, Kristen Sinema, and any other sensible Democrat. Are you going to blow up the filibuster? Are you going to nationalize elections? Are you going to have a carve-out of the nationalized elections in order to nationalize an election? So you're going to have a carve-out of the filibuster in order to do that. He's saying it'll be a very heavy lift to do that. He'd have to have Republican buy-in, which means there'll be zero Republican buy-in. Here is, here's what he's responding to. Chuck Schumer yesterday, cut 18. Because if we don't change the rules, the Republicans will block this and our democracy could be at risk and even wither in very real, in real ways. That he's saying that we have to blow up the filibuster. He's saying we're not going to do that. Cinema said we're not going to do that. So what changed? I mean, does, is this like just a, the desperate railings of something you expect from the squad? Or is he actually a leader? Is, is Chuck Schumer actually a leader? We're going to have a vote on this. Good luck. Have a vote on this. But what, what's going to change? Nothing's going to change. Uh, and that's why you watch Joe Biden's mandates, I hope, blow up. If you do want to make the most of your next year and make something of three years, you got to do what Bill Clinton did. You got to start being a moderate. You know, Joe Manchin would actually have success as a president right now because there's a lot of Republicans who see him as an honest broker because he's done exactly what he said he's going to do. And there's a lot of Republicans who want to get things done. You might not like the infrastructure deal, but it's getting things done. You know, and, and we want people to have faith in elections. We don't want to nationalize them. But there's some fundamental things they could probably agree on to pass. But they would trust Joe Manchin. They don't trust Joe Biden. And they certainly don't trust Chuck Schumer. So listen, follow me on Rumble now. I started yesterday. And this new getter, this new Trump site, I'm on social media. So check it out. Follow me. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.